Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we talk with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today, we have Joe Lamar on, who is an interesting and accomplished guy. He is in four halls of fame, four halls of fame. So the Brockton High School Hall of Fame. He is in the Bay State Games Hall of Fame, the Brockton Athletic Hall. He is in the Mass State Coaches Hall of Fame. How do you get there? He won a gold medal in 1992 in the 400 meters, a bronze medal in 800 meters in 2000 in Sydney. He's also a two-time wheelchair softball world champion. So that's a little bit. He runs as an amputee, but he's a wheelchair softball uh, world champion as well. Joe, we're going to have to get into a bunch of this. I want to know about wheelchair skills. I want to know about how you go from being a miler to being a... uh, to being a 400 meter guy. So welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Chris, thank you. Pleasure and honor to be here. This is absolutely awesome. So you really were like, I mean, it's interesting to see, right? So you lost your leg as a result of a tumor and ended up running on a prosthetic and you were a miler in high school. So you're in the Brockton High School Hall of Fame as a result of being a miler in well high school, right? Well, I'd, I'd say that I ran whatever race my coach told me to in high school. That was basically it. That's how it was. Whatever the team needed, that's the event that I did. So in high school, I ran anything from the 300 meters on up to running cross country. So 3.1 miles. So from going less than a lap on your outdoor track to all the way up to 3.1 miles of 5K, you know, that you do on the streets, you'll see everybody in road races running the 5k. So do you consider yourself a runner, a sprinter? Because I I sat next to Carl Lewis at at a lunch one time or a dinner one time and asked him what he was doing now. And, and, and he looked at me, he's like, I don't run. I'm a sprinter. And, but that's not you. You were, I mean, obviously Carl Lewis might've been a little bit elevated over pretty much everybody in, in the history of the sport, right? I mean, there are a few that are in his, in his ballpark, but what do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a sprinter? Do you consider yourself a middle distance runner? Do you consider yourself a runner? I'm a middle distance runner for sure. You know, I'll take the 800 any day of the week and enjoy it. That one race, they, guess what? You only have, you can't make any mistakes. You only have one move to make in that 800, and it's the greatest race, I think, out there. It's the greatest, which is, that I'm interested to hear why it's the greatest race for you, because the 800, in my mind, is a prolonged tactical sprint, which means that it hurts a lot. You can hurt yourself a lot in, what, world record at 223? Is that what the world record? Or that was your bronze medal was 223. No, my uh, my world record, the fastest I got down to, I think was like 208. 208. When I when I lost, um, I think the record is 205 now. You can hurt yourself a lot in 208. In in 64, would you go 64, 64, two, two back-to-back laps of 64? Or 
it depended on the competition. It honestly did. It, it's knowing your competition. And that's why it's so great. You know, if you have a, you know, guy who's a regular 400 meter runner in the race, guess what? You want to take him out a little fast. You know, you want to burn that kick out of him and make sure he doesn't have it at the end of the race. You know, but then again, if you're the fastest one with the speed in the race, you'll let everybody else do the work and just go and kick by him at the end. So that's that one move that you have to make. You know, that's why the race is so great. And if you mess it up, you just cost yourself. Do you have your move? Because you're a coach now. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But did you have your move? in mind beforehand you're like okay i look i see who these guys are i know what their strengths are i know what my strengths are i'm going at 300 meters i'm going at 200 meters i'm taking it from the gun what were your what did you know that before you started i probably had three or four moves that i knew to have depending on what took place you know if so and so did decide to take it out that might have changed, you know, my number one move so that I had to switch things up and maybe even pick it up even more, you know. So I had probably three or four moves that I knew by how the race was unfolding to go by in each race of what I would do. Yep. How did you get to be a track guy? Were you just one of those kids who just ran all the time? You're just racing your buddies to the corner store. Growing up, I was playing all sports and I was fast. And the older kids would always tell me, how are you faster than us and everything else? And I would love it. And, you know, I'd hear that, oh, yeah, when you get to the high school, you should be doing track and everything. And I'm like, we'll see. But with me, things took a, a turn with I had a couple of surgeries before I had my foot amputated. So when I was in like middle school, I had my foot uh I had surgery in seventh grade, um, and then the tumor resurfaced when I was in eighth grade. And I was told at that time, you know, and I was big into playing soccer, baseball, basketball, everything at that time. And the doctor told us because he had to amputate the toe next to my big toe. And really my foot looked like it was just a skeleton. And he told me at that time that I'd have a hard time walking, never mind running. So I was like, you know, I was that kid. I was like, who are you to tell me something like that? You know, you don't know me. So immediately I said. After after the surgeries in seventh and eighth grade, before you lost your leg. Yes. Okay. So that motivated me right there to like prove this guy wrong. So I decided to run cross country, indoor and outdoor track. I ran all three seasons, you know, and I tried to get through the uh, third season, my senior year, but it was just too much. I had a surgery when I was a junior. They told me then that they didn't get the whole tumor out, that it was throughout the entire foot and that amputation was necessary. And they wanted to take the foot then. And I asked him, how long can we prolong this? And I was able to get two seasons out of the deal. So I knew going in, you know, my senior year that this was it. I got two seasons to be able to 
run. So let's see what I can accomplish. You eventually ended up running afterwards, but with the diagnosis that the foot was going to get amputated, did that sound at the time? How much did you know? Did it sound like that was the end of you running? Was this doctor finally right in your mind? You know, I had thought the worst. I didn't know about the Paralympics or anything else, you know? So at the time when I went in for my uh, amputation and everything, I was lucky enough to have a nurse who knew that I was a runner bring in a magazine, a Runner's World magazine that had an article about the Paralympics in it. And I was like, what? What is this all about? And I'm like, boom, there was my new goal. I was going to be able to go and run again. And I found a, my prosthetic facility. They said, yeah, we can get you a running blade. And I'm like, awesome. What year was that? So that was 1990 that I had my foot amputated. Two years later, eight years later after that, it was, you know, running professionally for eight years. Yeah, it was awesome. How how did that progression go from the Runner's World magazine, yep. from the nurse who's telling you, hey, check this out, to the running blade, which has to be a lot of coordination. I mean, it's it's different trying to be symmetrical, right? Which is so much a part of your speed as a runner. How did that progression go from the magazine article to then winning a gold medal in the 400 meters, which you said you did a whole lot of different events. So, so 400 wasn't totally foreign to you. But how did it go from, from that magazine article to Barcelona, 1992, top step of the podium? You know, as you know, it was a lot of work, a lot of steps. Um, again, I had my foot amputated on April 4th, 1990. I got my first prosthetic um, probably in the end of May that year. And immediately, what did I try to do? I tried to run. You know, I tried to run in an everyday prosthetic and it did not work. It did not go well at all. I was dead tired trying to go like 50 meters down the street. And then I knew that I had a lot of work to do. And I started off small. I started off doing a lot of biking, you know, to get that endurance back, to get in shape. Then in 91, we got my first running leg and I was pretty much just on the track running the line you know to make sure that I was going straight and staying straight and you know before that I was walking the line to make sure that I had good form going on and everything else to any new amputees out there that want a quick way to make sure that they're balanced properly and everything else it's straddling a line on your track and going for a walk because you're consistent the entire time. You know, you can't waver with your foot going all over the place when you're just in the middle of a lane. Which is interesting. So are you effectively coaching yourself as you're going for a walk? Are you thinking heel toe and trying to keep it as symmetrical on, on your, your prosthetic leg as you are on your sound leg. A absolutely. It was making sure that all the time, that's why I, I don't wear pants anymore, you know, but. Oh, hold on, you do wear shorts. I mean, this is this is a family program, Joe. 
I wear shorts all the time, you know, but I'm, I'm one who doesn't wear pants and people, you know, they told me before when I was wearing pants and everything, they never knew I was an amputee and stuff. And, you know, and these are people that would see me like every day. And they were like, I never knew you were an amputee. I'm like, good. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. You know, does it matter? <laughs> You know, that's how I used to always look at it and everything. But it was because I did walk so well. How much did that affect your ability to run? Obviously, you were a good runner. You had endurance. You had speed. But translating those things from, from two sound legs to one sound leg with one prosthetic leg, how much did that technique make you a better runner? I, I don't know if it, it made me a better runner. Again, it was just a lot of work to get used to. You know, that was the biggest thing. It, it's something that is totally different running in a prosthetic. You know, I I never had anything to compare it to before. You know, so it was something to get used to, adjust to, and, you know, over time, just my short eight-year period of running, so many different legs and everything were coming out to run in and everything. It was a tremendous eight-year swing of seeing different legs coming out there. And you're wanting to try and see which is going to be the best for you. And you went, sometimes I failed. Sometimes I didn't have the best product yeah. out there and everything but again it was a trial and error back in those days you know now they got it down to a science in which they can tell you you know this is going to give you the best for running a sprint compared to going out for a distance run and it's phenomenal and i'm so happy those uh changes have come along because it was long overdue I wish I had it then though. I'm sure you, yeah, it's always, you look back on the technology and go, what about me? I, I should have been there. I should have had that. How do you go from having a walking leg? Because obviously you're leaving the hospital, you need another leg. So you have to get a prosthetic leg. But then going from a prosthetic leg, which is, this is your, this is your driving around car kind of thing to your Ferrari, how how does one go about getting the Ferrari or the Cheetah? I guess is that is that one specific company that's the Cheetah, but it's sort of that that shape, right? The right the shape of the prosthetic leg. So again, it was trusting the prosthetic facility in the first place, making sure you know that they knew what was going on they knew what the best stuff was out there and then it was really going and picking on my competition it was seeing what the competition was in you know and if the top people were in the cheater which most of them were it was the flex foot cheater at that time then that's what i needed to get in and that's what we did and how do you go about doing that? Because these things get expensive, right? I mean, this is, yeah. there's a barrier to entry in being a Paralympic sprinter. And thankfully, back then, companies like a Flexfoot and everything would go and compliment you and everything. And they would gift you items and everything else, especially if you were at the top level, 
you know, they didn't hesitate to say, here you go, you can run, here's what we're going to give you and everything else, run for us and stuff like that, which is awesome. And again, your prosthetic companies might've picked up the bill for some of the stuff and everything else, because you are bringing in, you know, and bringing to light that you're with them and everything else. So it was always good press for them as well. Well, and you're also, you're like a Formula One driver too, aren't you? That you are getting on the newest technology and you have the greatest ability to tell them, to give them feedback on whether it works or whether it doesn't. Yep, a a absolutely. And that, and that was something that, especially here in Massachusetts, I mean, we had a number of new inventions coming out there, especially for everyday feed. And, you know, I got to be one of those walkers all the time. You know, I was number whatever, testing out feet and stuff like that, which is unbelievable, you know, to go and be able to say, yeah, what are you doing for a living? Oh, I'm walking. It doesn't hurt to get paid to walk. You, you get a lot of pats on the back, I'd imagine, for for doing that. Yeah. Good job, Joe. Good job. Well done. You're You're getting paid to walk. Good job. Did you? Actually, let's let's take one step back. You said that the 800 is is the perfect race, and you had broken a world record in the 800. What were your plans going into that race, and did it play out the way that you expected? And how did you get to the get to the line faster than anybody ever had? So my first time officially breaking the world record in the 800, I was at Chula Vista, the Olympic Training Center, and they had the uh, the ultimate challenge race. And that morning, I was sick, wasn't feeling good, was in my room, puking my brains out and everything else. But I had knew I knew going in that I had done the work, get on the line, run the 800, and it was literally a lean at the finish line. And I won by um, two hundredths of a second. All right. And but you know, though, too, right? Even though it's two hundredths of a second, you know. I mean, you're still waiting for the... for the. I was waiting, I was waiting, but I was, I was really sick. Even after that, I mean, it took me a while. You knew, you know the routine at times. You have to go and get drug tested yep. right away and everything. And I was just like, how about just accepting this, my vomit instead, because I can't even go to the bathroom right now. But I was, I was sick, but we got through it and everything. And you do know. And then once they announced it and made it official, it was just like, oh, yeah, I can actually go out tonight. I'm fine. <laughs> That's how quickly everything changed. Once they really announced it and everything, it was like, I'm no longer sick. Let's, yeah, we're going out. Let's go out. It was a lean at the end, but what was your strategy going into it? You know, my strategy going in was to keep it consistent and make sure that I finished off the uh, fourth 200. And again, the, the competition there was brutal and he was coming up to me, coming up to me. And I know it was 1997. I, um, I just remember having... One of my athletes that I was coaching and training at the time, he would always go and outkick me when we were doing repeat 200. 
and it was the same kid who would just like the only kid that he was an average runner but he would always be the one to outkick me and I'm like how is this happening and that's the thing I had in my mind is I am not going to let him beat me today and I thought it was you know my competitor instead of him beating me at practice coming down that finish line was that mentality yeah and I tell him still to this day you know I still dislike you kid because of all those times you beat me Mm -hmm. but it helped me in that race that was the big thing and I always thank him for that yes that's what I always thank him for is that you were the one that pushed me through that race without even knowing it because of all those times that you beat me at the line doing our repeat 200s. How much did coaching help you as an athlete? So you were working with other athletes, but you were competing. How did that help you? Did it did it give you a different perspective? Um, it, it allowed me so much. I mean, with, with my coaching and everything, I tell everybody and I tell all coaches now today, go and steal from everyone. You know, you don't know what's going to work for a different athlete, you know, and everything is different for different athletes at times. So I tell them steal from everyone. I've stolen from first year coaches. I've stolen drills from that have helped my athletes out later on. And it's always keep your toolbox full, you know, and don't be afraid to add to that toolbox because again, you do not know what's going to work for someone else that you're coaching you know you got to go and find a way to adapt and overcome with some of your athletes and it might be a tool that you learned from coaches 20 30 years ago and you bring it back now and it's going to work for you did you always know that you'd be a coach i knew when i was in high school i had two great coaches you know harry allen and bill jennings who are still out and about today doing things in life that are wonderful. So learning from them, you know, really set the stage for me. And I was like, I was fortunate enough to go and coach under Coach Jennings at my alma mater as an assistant, and then went on from there. And went on from there. What, what did they teach you? What was the, because it, coaching is so much, right? It's about getting to run faster, but there are a lot of different ways. I would imagine that the human part, the, the, the personal growth was, was an equal part. Was that true? Oh yeah. I, I think the biggest obstacle with coaching, especially coaching running and track and field is the fact that our sport is pretty much everybody else's punishment. So it's getting those athletes to realize and accept, you know, that if you want to be great, in life, you know, you teach them those values of, yes, you got to work hard. You got to earn it. You know, the clock doesn't lie. That's the greatest thing in our sport is the clock doesn't lie. And it's getting them to buy in and realize that they only need to beat their own clock. You don't need to beat the competition. You go and start improving week in and week out because you're putting in the work that shows your progression. That shows you getting better. That's what it's all about. And that's what keeps you coming back too, right? When it is your, the punishment for other sports is running, but when you keep getting faster, 
that's mm -hmm. that's intoxicating right i mean this is exactly. is that the joy that you're giving to them oh exactly they they're going they're setting goals for themselves and when they go and achieve those goals my job's done you know and and it's so rewarding for me to know that what i'm doing has helped them accomplish their goals you know it's it's fantastic it's a it's a win-win situation and why high school why do you why is it high school kids that you want to coach um I, I think the biggest reason why i was coaching so long at the high school level it's the easiest and best group to really help later on in life you know what you give to them you know the values and the work ethic that they learn from you carries on into their entire life so i think sending and giving them that message has been the most rewarding thing for me you know even those kids that dislike you in high school and everything as the mean coach or something and it's true they'll come back to you five ten years later and say coach Lamar I just want to say thank you and I'm like what why because of what you did installing and that's that's what I love you know you won't get that at any other level you have because a lot of the kids they're going to run in high school and some of them might run in college and some of them might run after college, but those numbers get smaller and smaller. Absolutely. And do you look at the athletes differently? The athletes that are going to go that far or are you investing in each one of those in an individual way to improve the athlete and the person? It's totally individual. You know, I, I don't care if you're the best or the worst or in the middle or anything else. It's all about me helping you improve, you know, as an individual. That's what it's all about. I, I want to see you grow in the sport as the individual, you know, and I've done that with road running clubs that I've coached and everything with having adults and everything else that I coach to coaching at Achilles International now with athletes of all abilities and seeing them improving week in and week out that's what it's all about so let's let's go to because you mentioned achilles let's let's talk a little bit about that what exactly is achilles i mean we've heard like new york marathon that kind of thing we've heard about achilles but what what is achilles so achilles international is pretty much the only fully inclusive walking running rolling club out there in the world and we literally are worldwide you know we have i believe 19 chapters in different countries and then we have you know 66 chapters overall so we have a bunch of them in the u.s you know we even have one in utah that you can go salt lake city that you can check out you know and again we're we're all about sending the message that sports are for everyone and if you're wanting to get out there and participate and socialize that's what it's all about it's making sure that we send the message to athletes or wannabe athletes that they can go out there and participate in things you know and we build them up and bring in guides if needed and everything for those who are visually impaired intellectually challenged that need those guides and everything, we set that up for them. If uh, it's somebody that's in need of a racing wheelchair, we'll go and 
get racing wheelchairs so that they can compete, hand cycles so that they can compete and be able to be out there and be active. It's an extension of running, isn't it? I mean, it's just sort of because running is the thing that pretty much everybody can do. But then you're serving the public that might not be able to run in the same traditional way Correct. that everybody else can. I mean, it's sort of in a lot of ways, it's the purest form of sport just because there it is. you don't need anything else. You just get out there and go. Is the purity a part of the attraction for you? Because there, there's there's like the beauty, there's the purity, there's the the grit. Like where does where does running fit? What where does it grab you? You know, it, it grabs me the most in everything that you just said right there. You know, and it does. It, it's fully. I'm totally invested in running. I, I've loved it since I've been a kid. You know, and I saw my first. You know, Olympics. Remembering back in like '76 and everything else, seeing people winning gold medals and saying, what is this all about? And then, boom, you start looking things up yourself and being like, wow, really drawn to it as the purest thing out there, you know, for competition. It's you against the clock and that's it, you know, and it is. It's unbelievable and it's something for me, you know, that it's my way to give back now. You know, the sport has literally taken me all around the world. So now I go and coach to really give back to my athletes and share with them that, yeah, this can take you places. Yeah, you're giving back to them. And you say that it's you against the clock, but it's also you against the clock against history. I mean, having broken a world record, that is a much bigger picture than just you against the clock. What do you have to teach your athletes as a result of what you did as a runner than what you did as an amputee runner and as a world record holder? Because I don't understand what the world record holder is. I never, I never broke one, so I don't know. I don't know what a world record feels like. So, how does that change your ability to communicate with the athlete? You know, that's that's funny that you mentioned the world record because it's like it's one of those things that I don't even really bring up anymore because it's not mine anymore. You know, so that's that's the disappointing part. But uh, at the time, yes, I knew that I was the best to ever do it until then, you know? So that was something that, yeah, I still can't comprehend it. I still don't believe it's real at times when looking at it that way, but going and sharing just my story with my athletes and everything, they really know where I'm coming from with the sport and know why I care so much about seeing them doing well in the sport. Well, because obviously you have to love it. You've been involved in it for so long. Mm-hmm. The other we don't sport, say how long. Don't say how long. Okay, people can do the math, right? They can. <laughs> 1990, that gives you a few years right there, right? How did you get into the other sports? Because you're an amputee. So you run as an amputee. And, and describe to people where you fit in the amputee running, right? Because above the knee versus below the knee, 
changes things significantly, right? Uh, absolutely. I am a below knee amputee runner, you know, missing my right leg below the knee. And I'll, I'll give one of my fellow uh, amputee athletes a little shout out there because he wanted me to tell a story real quick to you about being a below knee amputee. So back in 92, I ended up growing some more after the games. I was still growing at the age of 21. I ended up busting through my residual limb back in 93 and having to go for a revision after that. And I ended up losing an additional four inches off my stump because I had busted through and you know, did so much damage to my leg and everything else. So busting through, you mean that the bone yeah. is growing through yeah. Yeah, where the they sutured your leg, the skin back together. Yes. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty gross and disgusting bloodbath that I went through. Mm -hmm. Yep. So okay. there you go. There you go. I, I announced that story. Oh, um, but then after that revision and everything, I was able to get right back in, you know, it probably took me a, three or four months off. And then I was back running again and, you know, really going after setting records and everything else after that. So this was you won a gold medal in 92. Then yep. you continued to grow effectively had your leg amputated a second time. I mean, you call it a Correct. revision, yes. but really you're getting a second amputation. And yes. then you came back and broke a world record in the 800 meters and then won a bronze medal in the 800 meters. Is it the struggle that you, that you teach your, your kids about? Cause I mean, obviously that sounds like a monumental struggle having your leg amputated twice and having to come back, I mean, obviously the second time you probably had a little bit better idea of what you're in for and you knew, you knew sort of the coordination and, and, and you knew that you'd be able to walk and that you get a prosthetic that fit and et cetera, et cetera. You knew, you knew the landscape, but is that part of, is that the thing that like, there's gotta be a key, right? Is that the key? to being a successful athlete? It's teaching, well, in teaching my athletes, it's teaching them, yes, you can overcome anything. And I give them examples of what I've overcome in my life and in my running career that really sparks them. So it's like, they're dealing with little things compared to the things that I dealt with. You know, if you wanna go injury-wise and everything else that athletes go through from, you know, pulling a hamstring. Well, guess what? This is what I'll compare it to. I had a revision. I lost an additional four inches and I got back into it. You can overcome this and get it done. Yeah. Those blisters aren't that bad. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, they, 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 there's nothing for them to say, I guess, is what it comes down to, right? There are no excuses that are valid. They they cannot get away with it with me. And they know it, I'm <laughs> sure, too. How did you get into, because we're talking about you as an amputee, how are your wheelchair skills? Because you're a wheelchair softball player, football player. Are, are, are your wheelchair skills solid or what? You know, I'd say they are. There, there are a few that would, 
you know, go against me, but we don't appreciate the haters. So as far as how I get involved, I wish I had listened to people in the first place and got involved a lot earlier. You know, I was one of those amputees that thought that I didn't belong in a wheelchair. You know, I can walk with a prosthetic. Why would I want to be in a wheelchair and everything? Um, I was always attending a lot of wheelchair basketball games because friends of mine who competed in the Paralympics were competing. So I'd go and watch them and everything. And one day at the gym, one of the guys finally came up to me, smallest guy on the court, mind you. And he literally said, you're here all the time. And this is after like five or six years. He's like, why don't you join us? You know, I've asked you before, why aren't you joining us? And I go, I just don't belong in a chair. What he went and did is rolled over my real foot with his chair and said, what are you going to do about it? He goes, there's a chair right over there if you want to challenge me. So from then on, I was hooked. And next thing I know, I was going to three wheelchair basketball practices a week. And, you know, I was totally hooked because this little guy went and he literally handed it to me, handed it to me on the basketball court. And I was like, I cannot let this happen, you know? So I had to go and the athlete in me said, let's get better and let's make sure that he doesn't get the best of me again. So you picked up basketball. When did softball come in? Literally right after that. It was the next season. So in 2008, I started playing wheelchair basketball and was playing, you know, the spring of 2009 playing uh wheelchair softball did you get into like high-tech basketball chairs because i mean you're talking about all the camber you've got the you know effectively like the anti-tip wheels so so you're not flipping over uh did you do that and is it the same chair that you use in basketball that you're using in softball and football <laughs> so no i actually use two different chairs i do have i do have the state-of-the-art basketball wheelchair you know, it's awesome. It's fantastic. Carbon fiber and everything else. And I'm like, this is lovely. It's the lightest thing out there. And for softball and football, I use a different chair just because it's a more durable chair. Those are more, you know, the sports that you're crashing around and on the parking lots and everything else. I don't want to I don't want to damage the Ferrari of basketball chairs. But you're one of the guys they have to fear, I would imagine, because you're bringing some speed, you're bringing you're bringing some um, some mass, and in basketball, and well, in basketball and football, I'm thinking football because it's it's chair to chair, right? Is that that's how you're tackling, right? Or is it touch? No, it's touch. It's touch. It's okay. touch. Yep. Okay. Good. Yep. So they they eliminate that. Basketball is the one that gets, uh, you know, a lot of contact, you know, but again, if you have the good chair skills, you can lock people up. And so when did the, when did the beard happen? Is this, is this part of being in the, the softball, the, the, the football, is this, is this part of the attitude you're bringing to, to these sports? 
this was probably four or five years ago. I did the no shave November because the Bruins were in the playoffs and all that fun stuff. And, and then I just took off the lamb chops and kept the rest. You kept the rest and you and I are contemporaries. So it, it looks like it starts out dark, but ends up a little bit lighter. Thank you. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's not your stylist putting that in there, the beautician. No, 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 no. This is all natural. <laughs> all natural. So what kind of athletes are you getting? Are you seeing athletes in softball, in basketball? Is it the same athletes in basketball and softball and football that you see? Or, or are there different athletes that are coming to each sport? For, for the most part, it is the same athletes and everything. Um, there's, there's a drop-off. You know, basketball players are the ones that are the most dedicated. They're sticking to basketball pretty much year-round. Um, it's well, it's also a Paralympic sport. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And you, you can't knock them for that and everything. They're still my friend if they're on my team, you know. And looking at football and softball that's a different breed that's the you know yes we'll look forward to the world championships and you know nationals and everything else that's out there but it, it is it's a it's a different breed most of the time for those two sports and those sports some people who are listening are thinking okay are you playing softball on a softball field? You did mention the parking lot. Are you playing football on the football field? It'd be a really slow game. Exactly. If you're playing no. on the regular field. Yes, we, we go and we play in parking lots, mainly all around the country. You know, so if you got a nice big parking lot and it's flat and nice, let's set up something. Let's get some scrimmages going. And are the dimensions the same? It's, it's, it's the same as a softball field, which is softball field is similar, like a little league field, right? The the infield 60 feet. Is that what it is? It's it's 220 to the uh, fence. OK. And what is it? Um, the pitcher is only like 24 or so feet away from you. Yeah, that, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, I, I feel bad for them at times. Mm hmm. Um. How how big is the infield? Is it because it's more similar to like a little league field, or is it yes, smaller? Yes, yeah. you're right. It, it is more similar to a little league field and everything. Offhand, I don't know exactly. You don't know the dimensions. You just know what you not need. exactly. What what about football? You're not doing. Ball. I just have to hit the ball far. Exactly. And then you can talk smack to all those little leaguers. You're like, no, no, I can hit home runs in your in your field get your respect what about what about football it's not it's not a hundred yards it's a small no it's a, it's a smaller field as well and smaller number of players on the field too correct you know they're seven on a side instead of the what is it 11 for nfl right and, and so what's the what's the attitude like in these games or is there is there a little bit of smack talking are you uh are you talking to these guys on the basketball court and the football field? Uh, yeah. There's smack talking in all sports, you know, and in basketball, I love it. I, I really do just because each and every time you can just go and go and make a basket and they just keep going and chirping to 
motivate you the whole time. You know, and basketball is such a fast paced game. That's what I love. I do love people that talk smack in basketball. In basketball, not so. Is it happening in softball too? It happens in all the sports, you know, but not as not as much because again, in in softball, it's a slower paced game. You really can't unless you're interacting with them on the base or something like that. You know, you'll go and maybe try to let some air out of their tire if they're on the base and stuff like that, just to go and see what they do or give them a bump from behind if they're looking to steal a base and stuff like that to let them know you're there to pick them off and everything. But it's not it's not as one-on-one as basketball is, right? The pitcher and the batter are one-on-one, but that's not a time that you're going to talk smack necessarily to someone. You know, some some of them do, though, you know, like, hey, if you're going and you're going to walk the quad, you know, you know, you might be in trouble because there's a big bat up after that. So quad meaning a quadriplegic. So a lot of people wouldn't assume. So you're you're in a below the knee amputee. So you have to be one of the most able guys on the softball field, whereas then you do have quadriplegics who are playing. And it's a similar sport. I mean, we've talked about quad rugby. We've talked about basketball, where you have a point system. Point system, absolutely. And so yep, you can't have a to... team of you guys. Exactly. You have to have, you know, I believe it's like the 20 points on the field and everything for the 10 positions. So you have to have a distribution of different disabilities. So it actually is fairly inclusive. And there is a role even for the higher level injuries which which i'd imagine makes it interesting and and also super supportive where you're like okay this guy can this guy can be our game changer even though in some ways he or she potentially is this a absolutely this is a co-ed yes. sport right so, yes yes it is so you can you one of those people who who you look at and go oh well they they can't do as much as some of the other people but they could be so the game think. changer and the one that really breaks it open so very very true and that's why it's a team sport you know you're there you have to rely on your all your teammates to get things accomplished and to get the wins in those sports and yes each and every person is needed as a as a coach and you've been coaching for a long time i assume you coached before you became a father right how does being a coach affect being a father affect or inform being a father you know I think for me it's been it's been great because again some of these kids that I've coached are my kids you know they they are you know you're with them you know for four years you know day in and day out and some of them have done all three seasons with you they might live in your neighborhood you see them all the time and they are, they're, they're, they're my kids, you know? So I was a, a father before I was a father. So becoming a father was not all that daunting to you is what you're saying. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I knew what to expect, especially when they got to the high school level, anything and everything. There was nothing that my kids could throw at me that I didn't already hear. And were your kids runners as well? Is this a DNA thing? 
Nope, nope. They played all the other sports. My son did um, two years of indoor track because he got cut from basketball, you know, and that's the time that I truly loved it and appreciated the basketball coach because then I did give to I did get to help out and coach him during those indoor seasons. And was he run? Was he like you? Was he running all different distances? Yes, he was. You know, he he ran. He qualified. You know, for states in like the fifty-five. I believe he just missed qualifying for states in the high jump and was on his team's relay team and everything. You know, so good stuff for them. Good stuff. So you're and so he ran track. Your daughter did not run any track. My my daughter played soccer, basketball, softball, and my son did the soccer, basketball, track, and then baseball. Do you feel like the message would have been different with your kids at all if you had coached them or? Does the message get across by virtue of being a father? Does does sport create that that uh, you know that 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 opportunity to to really hammer home some of those messages? I, I was very lucky and fortunate because I coached them through all their little leagues and all that stuff growing up. You know, so I was always on the sidelines always helping them out in their sports, no matter what, you know, they, they got 110% of dad growing up, you know, and they didn't mind sharing, you know, when I was coaching my other athletes. What are your kids doing now? All right. My son is working full-time as a security guard right now. And my daughter is at Coastal Carolina University and getting ready to uh, do a student trip over to Tokyo pretty soon. Is that something that she picked up from you? Because you've done some stuff with the State Department, right? Going to Zambia. Yes, yes. So yes, she has been the one that has seen me travel and is all about it. What's the appeal? Is it the same for both of you? The travel, the 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 travel the education part well mine was all work related stuff though i take it you know i i always did you know and i'm sure you know when we were always on those team planes and everything and they say yeah when you got to check the boxes is it work or business you know business or for fun and everything and it's like it was always business for me you know we're going to take care of business but uh, with her now and everything, no, this is all fun stuff for her. She just wants to go and be places that I went and everything else. What a good deal. It's nice with the second generation that they can follow in your footsteps and get to enjoy it in, in a way that you haven't. So are you coaching now? Right now with coaching Team Achilles International, the Boston chapter, you know, I have a number of athletes with different disabilities and so it's it's coaching them year round right now which is unbelievable and awesome um and then yeah i have spare time to go and work with high school athletes still you know i do a number of things with the boston public schools i'll be in there i was in reggie lewis center you know so it's it, again it's all about giving back and and you also so 
with the with the athletes that you're working with now, yep. is it a variety of different distances there, particularly like Achilles? I mean, does that go all the way up to the marathon? Yes, it does. You know, so we have our our athletes that just want to go walking for a couple of miles to our athletes who are marathoners doing marathon training week in and week out, you know, and it's, again, it's, it's fantastic. And we get everybody in the middle too, you know, if they run a 5k on a 10k half marathons. And with it being full year, is it ramping up now? Because this is sort of your traditional track season, right? You might have your indoor season during the winter, but as the weather's getting better, you're getting your traditional track season. So is that ramping up or is it just specific athletes who are ramping up and other athletes might be targeting races in the fall or whatever? You know, right now we get a couple of athletes looking at Boston, you know, to run the Boston Marathon. So they're really into their workload right now. And then we'll have the good weather athletes coming out soon to get in those fun runs and everything else around the Boston area when those races come out. I like it. Okay, Joe, you are a Hall of Fame athlete. You're a coach. I'm going to ask you five questions. We're going to do five quick minutes of questions. So first question, what's your favorite time of the day? Thanks. Bedtime. Bedtime. Really? <laughs> I would have pegged you for a, for, a, you know, the rooster crowing kind of, kind of time of the day. See, I, I do. I, I am that boom, six o'clock. It's an internal thing that I'm up no matter what at 6am. That is interesting, but, but it really is bedtime when you go, Oh, okay. Now, now I can go and recharge. Relax. Yes and get back how do you release tension when it builds uh, that's why i still play sports you know that's my outlet it's it's still my outlet to go out i appreciate having basketball a couple of nights a week and everything to really just let it all out leave it out on the court and then boom back into that regular routine of getting work done and working with athletes and that's also a tension reliever you know because you are I'm just giving back and doing what I like to do what do you what do you put on your pizza Joe oh my favorite topping on pizza I would definitely go with a um chicken broccoli alfredo chicken broccoli alfredo and what does that say about you I don't know I that I like good pizza <laughs> You're not going to go any any further than that. Your your chicken versus a pepperoni. Okay, all right, all right. I'll I'll accept that. When did you feel your boldest in your life? That's a good one. I don't think I've reached it yet. <laughs> you know, I think there's still more to come. Still more more to come. And and because I mean, I think like, I mean, one like being on the line of the at the Paralympics or being on the line as a high schooler potentially as well. Uh, having your kids. Uh, you know, having my kids, nothing tops that, you know, 
That was the the gift of all gifts right there. I I would imagine who inspires you? Because you inspire so many people. I think athletes that have inspired me, one is like Jackie Joyner Kersey, you know, seeing everything that she's done, you know, Bobby Kersey, awesome coach and everything. And for track and field, I'd say that um, Billy Mills, you know, I wasn't born yet, but seeing what he accomplished and everything, that was just phenomenal. Describe to people what Billy Mills, I mean, actually, you've got to talk through Jackie Joyner, Bobby Bobby Joyner, and uh, and uh, or Bobby Kersey and uh, yeah. Billy Mills too. Like, what did they do? What's the stuff that really Billy Mills? It was getting pushed around, falling down that last lap, getting up, finishing the race off, running through the line, and winning the ten thousand meters. Awesome, unbelievable, you know, and. Then when it comes to Jackie Joyner Kersey, her relationship with her husband and coach, mind you, it was seeing everything that she, my best part was the end of her career and everything. When she was going through the injuries and Bobby was able to go up to her and say, you could still finish this off. Her legs all wrapped up and everything else. And she still went out there, competed and gave her best effort. Those yeah, are as a heptathlete, right? And and, exactly, and a long yes. jumper, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And she was able to go and accomplish those that, you know, gold medals and everything else and really push through the pain and stuff like that. And that's stuff that just, you know, as an athlete, you go and you say, if, if they can do it, I can. You know, that was the message that she sent to me was, Oh yeah, you can you can do anything there. And it's all that mindset, you know. Yeah, and she actually she was an asthmatic as well. Yes. Yes, she was. So interesting. You know, interesting. Everything wow. going against her, and she was still able to push through and overcome. Great stuff. It's I, I like that your heroes are still in the language of track as well that this is the <laughs> this is the prism through which you see the world isn't it yes yes you know again it's it's all around you in every real sport there's running <laughs> that is awesome well joe keep running keep helping people to run or wheel faster we really appreciate it thank you for joining us Thank you. It's been tremendous. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope that you've enjoyed it. The greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in, to like us, to follow us. This will be a traditional podcast. So pre please subscribe and we will continue to bring you great content. Thank you and see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>